Welcome back to Transformation Station. And if you're a new parent who has a kid who's maybe experiencing that for the first time, you can transition them back and escort them back uh, yourself if you'd like to. And I'd like to invite the rest of you to open your copy of God's Life-Giving Word to the book of Philippians. Uh, We'll be on page, let me see, 980 of the Bibles we provided for you. So Philippians is toward the back of the Bible. Um, If you need help finding it, you can always uh, do the the church cheat and just go to the table of contents and find it uh, there. But uh, we uh, we started this new series uh, two weeks ago called Jesus People, and really excited to kick off the new year looking at what does it mean to know Jesus and to seek to live like Jesus as we experience him in our lives. Well, uh, this morning we're going to look at a new topic starting in verse 12. And before we get there, I just want to introduce a thought to you as we get going. So uh, I would say that we live in a culture of speed. Does everyone agree with that? We, we live in a culture that values getting what we want at a maximum pace, right? So, so this is probably never more true than when it comes to technology. I was reminded of this just in the past couple of weeks. My family, we uh, were up for a new uh, internet service, home internet service. So you know how it kind of goes, like you start your contract, and the first year it's really nice, and they bump it up, you know, $10 a month, maybe $15 a month. And so once that, that two-year mark hit, hits, then you want to reevaluate where you are. And it just so happens that uh, our old company, who we had switched from two years ago, um, really wanted us back. And they let us know that by sending us about 12 letters over the course of four months, telling us how much they missed us, how much they loved us, and how much they wanted us to come back. And, uh, you know, we were just so moved by uh, their affection um, and the fact that they cut our bill in half that uh, we decided to go back with that old company. Uh, so, so not only, aren't you proud, not only did we cut our bill in half, but we actually doubled our internet speed. Uh, you can test this online, just, you know, Google it, you'll find it really quick. Uh, we, we went from about 28, I guess it's megabytes per second, to 56 megabytes per second, and our upload speed is even a little bit better than that. So um, this really just beats the mess out of the old dial-up days, like just by a show of hands, who remembers dial-up internet service? Okay, most, all right, most people have experienced that. You remember like the the dead dial tone, like, and then it actually dials the number for you, like, do-do-do-do-do-do-do, and then you have to wait for it to start ring, ring, ring. I'm not a good phone, but uh, you, you, you get the idea, right? You have to wait, and it's like, you are now connected, and you finally get on the internet and then you have to wait, you know, like 35 seconds for a page to load and then you click something else and it's another 35 seconds. And, and so this is, this is amazing that today, thankfully, we do not have to, most, in most cases, not all cases, but in most cases, we don't have to fight that kind of battle of dial-up internet speed, but we can enjoy some really fast broadband or fiber optic, you know, internet connections. Um, and so I, I just would, would pose this thought to you today. Wouldn't it be awesome if we took the same approach and tried to live our life with the same urgency when it comes to advancing the message of Jesus? 
Like we, we live in a, a culture of speed, and, and when, when it's something we really we want, even something as, as, as small as you know, getting a page to load very quickly, um, then, then we're all about speed. But what if we transferred that, that, that desire for, for speed and urgency in our approach to seeing the message of Jesus advance? I think if we're being honest, we would say, you know what, in, in my own life and in the life of many churches that, that um, you know, followed Jesus, we really are getting the gospel out there with dial-up speed. But this was not the case for Paul. You see, Paul devoted his entire life to advancing the gospel and advancing it as quickly and as effectively as he possibly could. And he advanced the news of Jesus even in the face of great adversity and opposition. And so as we look at Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 18, I want us to think about what it looks like to advance the news of Jesus even through adversity. Look at what Paul says here as we begin our study. He says this in verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, and when Paul says brothers, there's usually a little footnote. You can look down, and he means siblings in a family. So it's brothers and sisters, all right? He's speaking to men and women here. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having been come confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. You see, what Paul is doing here is he's immediately stepping into some personal remarks because he knows that the Philippians know he's in prison, right? And so the Philippians would be concerned, like, hey, Paul, um, you may not be doing very well because you are in chains, but not only may you not be doing so great, but the mission is probably hurting because you are seemingly on the sidelines. And so what Paul does here is he reassures them on two fronts. Number one, he says, look, the news of, of, of Jesus is still advancing, okay? And, and number two, uh, I'm okay because when the news advances, listen, I rejoice even if I am not under the best of circumstances. And so a couple of encouragement for us as, as we look at what it looks like to advance the news of Jesus, okay? Uh, number one, let's allow nothing to stop the advance of the news. 
Now, speaking of news, before I get too deep into what's going on here with Paul, um, did anyone hear the news this morning uh, c- coming out of Foxborough? TMZ is reporting that uh, Tom Brady, because of his two picks last night, he was, he was very upset. And I don't know if this is a, is a commonplace, but apparently he got in a, a fight with Giselle, and uh, she took a, a, a jar of their avocado oil and, uh, and smashed his hand. And now he's out for the AFC Championship game. Did you guys hear, hear that? Of course not, because it didn't happen, all right? But I, I got you there, man. Woo, that was fun. You guys saw the looks. Hey, man, like we still have a shot to win the Super Bowl, all right? Everybody just relax. Um, but, all right, <laughs> that was good, man. All right, um, that didn't happen to Tom Brady, all right? One of the greatest players, maybe we would, many of us would agree, the greatest player of all time, like he, he's not going to be on the sidelines, hopefully, n- next Sunday, but, but that's what's going on here in Philippi, right? Like one of God's best players was taken out of the game. And this would have concerned the, the churches, but Paul is saying, look, you know what? It may seem like I'm on the sidelines, but guess what? My jersey's always on, you know what I'm saying? Like, I am ready, no matter what my circumstances are, to continue advancing the gospel. And so verse 12 just gives us the, the key phrase here. He says, look, I want you to know, brothers, sisters, that what has happened to me has really served, did you, did you catch that, to advance the gospel. Some versions will say, for the progress of the gospel. It means that the, the news of Jesus, that's what the gospel is, the good news about who Jesus is and what he's done and why that matters for us, this news is moving forward. The Greek word can mean, uh, can, was sometimes used to blaze a trail before an army. Paul saying, look, I, I may be, be sidelined, but, but I'm not really on the sidelines. And he gives two evidences for uh, this, this idea of the gospel continuing to advance, all right? Number one is his prison opportunity. Now, I think we'd all agree, like we sometimes read the, the New Testament, like, like Paul's a hero, nothing can stop Paul. He was always on like spiritual cloud nine, okay? Like, look, prison is not fun. The threat of death is not comforting. You know what I'm saying? Like he was, he was in prison. He did not know the outcome of what was going to happen at trial. And so Paul was under personal, emotional, mental, and spiritual anguish while he was in prison. But he says in verse 13, as a result, actually at the, at the, at the end of, of verse 12, he says, What's happened has really served to advance the gospel. It's because of his adversity that the gospel was advancing. Not not in spite of the adversity, but because of the adversity. And so can you imagine, uh, just, just, you know, Consider with me, can you imagine some of the conversations that the, the Roman guards would have had with the prisoners, right? I mean, just only, you can only imagine, hey, wh- why are you in here? And prisoner one, number one says, you know, well, uh, theft. And prisoner number two says, insurrection, you know, I was saying bad things about Caesar. And, and number three says, you know, well, you know, I've, I've murdered my fair share of people here. And, and then they get to Paul and so they look at Paul and say, why are you in here? And Paul just says, look, Jesus. You're like, 
what are you talking about? Like, who is, who is Jesus? And, and so Paul then just gets to, to share the, the news about who Jesus is and, and what he's done. This imprisonment actually served to advance the gospel. And a, a great lesson we can learn here, right, is like if, if, you're, if you're curious um, who it is that maybe God wants you to talk to about Jesus, um, you can just look beside you, right? Like, this is what Paul did. Paul, Paul was, he was in chains. He didn't have a lot of opportunity, you know what I'm saying, to like go and find new people, but there was a guard there, and he looks and he says, hey, here is a person that God loves. Why don't I care about them and love them and get to know them and talk to them about their life and how their story can connect to God's story? They thought they could stop Paul. But as Paul says in another place, in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, he says, Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David? This is my gospel for which I am suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal, but God's word is not chained. Paul's saying, look, you can, you, can, you can put me in chains, but you can't put God in chains. You can't stop God's work from advancing, and he might even work in some very unlikely ways to advance his mission. I, I almost wonder, this probably didn't happen, okay, but I almost wonder if Paul would have maybe been, you know, compelled to write a thank you letter to the people who had him imprisoned. If we go back and read the end of Acts, we can see that Paul was arrested by some people in Jerusalem who didn't like him very much, and so they had him arrested and then uh, taken off to, to trial. And so maybe his letter, his thank you letter, would have gone something like this. Um, Dear Jews who hate me in Jerusalem, thank you for having me arrested at the temple several months ago. While I have not enjoyed every moment of being in custody, I've had some phenomenal experiences. You thought you could keep me quiet, but you supplied me with a captive audience. In fact, you just got me to the emperor because Caesar's guards are hearing about Jesus and now believing in Jesus so much so that now they're taking that news back to Caesar's household. And this is, by the way, how Philippians end. If you want to just kind of fast forward and look at verse 22 of chapter 4, the second to last verse of the letter, he says, all the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. So, so Jews who hate me, thank you very much for helping me get to the gospel to the most powerful uh, family in the world. Sincerely, Paul prisoner of Rome, and proclaimer of Jesus. Paul did not allow his circumstances to stop him. He did not allow his chains to stop him. And just as a side note, listen, I don't know what you're going through, but, but anytime we face a trial in life, God is bigger than the challenges that we face. And God can take our challenges and turn them into opportunities. I see those heads nodding. That's good because that's true. That's how good God is. He takes our trials and he turns them into opportunities for us to grow, for those around us to be changed. Not only was the 
gospel advancing while Paul was in prison. But then look at evidence number two. It comes in verse 14. He says, and because I'm in prison, most of the brothers, again, brothers and sisters, uh, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So we might assume that, you know, the other brothers and sisters, they hear like, hey, one of God's best has been taken out because he talked about Jesus so much. Um, We shouldn't probably be too devoted because if we kind of rise up to that level, then we're going to put our lives and our security on the line. And so we might assume that the the brothers and sisters, this, this family who belongs to Jesus, that they would have been more intimidated to talk about Jesus. But the exact opposite happens here, right? They were actually emboldened. They knew that someone had to step up, and so they started stepping up with confidence. And it says here in verse 14 that that they were confident what? See that? Just, Just look back at your Bible there, verse 14. Confident in the Lord. So, so, so listen, look, I know it's intimidating to, to sometimes spark a spiritual conversation with a friend or, or, you know, people ask you like, well, why aren't you so worried? Like, man, stuff at work is going so, so, so you know, um, haywire. What, what are we going to do here? And, and so um, you have resources, God-given resources that, that you can explain to them, but it's really tough to, to kind of go ahead and, and take that step. And so what happens is what we need in those moments is confidence from God. Some people call this Godfidence, all right? It's just kind of a, 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 a catchy way of, of describing like God is the one who gives us confidence in the moment for his power to be at work in us and then consequently through us. We all, myself included, we all need a little more uh, Godfidence, if you will. And, and what this means is like, man, I am counting on God in this situation. Like, like God loves this person more than I love this person, and he's working ahead of me. Like God's ETA is always ahead of your ETA, you know what I'm saying? Like he's there before you arrive. And so we can trust that he's at work, and he's going to use us in these moments to help other people get to know how great he is and his great plan for their life. That's why they had this confidence in the Lord. That's why they were much more bold, as it says here in verse 14, to speak the word without fear. Another translation says they dared all the more. To be daring is is indicating a willingness to show boldness or resolution in the face of danger, opposition, or problem. So, so let's, just, let's just be honest here today. Um, in our culture, um, sometimes it's tough to take that step and talk about Jesus, right? Like the word Jesus, and this is kind of weird because it's not like this with other religious figures usually in our culture, but, but the word Jesus can kind of put people, you know, um, um, on, 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 you know, uh, a level of discomfort. And so it's daring for us to take that step 
to, to, to maybe step out of our comfort zone and, and, and raise the level of discomfort in the room, but because we love the person so much that we're willing just to take that step and, and to dare to introduce Jesus into the conversation in a very natural way, right? Like, we're not saying, like, hey, you know, uh, you know carry your Bible on your head when you go to work and, like, let it fall off on your coworker's desk. Like, oh, whoa, there's, here's the Bible. Let me tell you about Jesus. No, it's just finding natural ways to... to, to, to sh- Talk about why Jesus matters so much to you. And so they were daring, and this kind of reminded me, as they dared to tell the truth, it reminds me of a a game that sometimes kids play or teenagers play called uh, Truth or Dare. So I thought we could just play it this morning. How about that? Just, Just truth. Like, how many times have you shared the truth about Jesus in the past, maybe past year? What would you say? How many times? There's no, like, test. There's no, like, you know, we're not keeping score or anything. But, but it's a good question to consider. And so the dare might be, well, then be more daring to talk about Jesus and to share the truth that's perhaps changed you or you're exploring that might change you. Maybe you'd say, look, you know, the, the fact of the matter is, Tanner, like, there was one time last year that I had a really good conversation with a friend and I was able to tell them how God has changed my life through what Jesus did for me. And so you know what? Hey, that's great. Why not step out in faith this year and be daring and let that number go up from one to maybe three or four? If that's where you are today then, and that's progress, then, then that's clearly that God is at work in your life in 2017. Paul says most of the brothers and the sisters are more confident. They're more bold. They're more daring. And so I don't know about you, but like I want to be in that. It's like not all, but most. Not, not everyone, not like 100%, but most. Like some, so most is more than more. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and so that it's indicating a majority of the people who belong to the church there where Paul was. Um, they were stepping out. And I'm just saying, I, want, I don't want to miss out on this. I want to be in the, 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 the category of most. And I hope you're saying, like, you know, Tanner, that's, that's crazy to me. I, I'm a bit intimidated by this. But, but, you know, I want to be in that category as well. Because Jesus is this good. Because he is, he is so amazing, um, everyone deserves to, to, to really know, not just kind of have these ideas about who God is and these misperceptions and misconceptions about Jesus, but, but to know the real story. And so I love what, what verse 14 is implying, okay? I don't, I don't know if you caught this. I don't know if you love this as much as I love this. I hope you will. This is one of my prayers for our church, right? Is that what? Who, who advances the news of Jesus according to verse 14? Jesus' people, right? And Jesus' people are not the Jesus professionals, right? It doesn't have to be the Apostle Paul. It doesn't have to be Pastor Tanner. Pastor Tanner ain't even great at it most weeks, all right? Like, I'm trying. I'm struggling like you, all right? But, but, but it, is, it is just anyone whose, whose life has been changed by the story of Jesus. If you have stepped into that story, you belong to Jesus. You are a Jesus' people, a Jesus person. And, and so this is who advances the, the news. I got to thinking this week, man, what, what if, what if 
we this year, as, as a collective group of people, what if we saw the majority of the people in our church known as Redemption Hill, what if we took a huge step forward this year? What if, what if even most of, of, of the people took a, a huge step forward this year? Our church would never be the same. That's not an overstatement. It's just the reality. Like our, ne- our church would never be the same. And then you see, like, why, why were the brothers and sisters, why were they emboldened? It's because that they saw Paul's example, and he, he's like, he's in chains, and he's not keeping his mouth shut. Then, like, if he's doing that under that circumstance, it's like, we're out here free, man. We're out here having a good time. We're out here doing our jobs. We're out here caring for our families. We're not restricted in any way. If Paul can be that bold under that circumstance, then why can't I step out and make, you know, some, some, some daring steps in where God has placed me? And so what that teaches us is this, courage is contagious. And I just got to thinking about it, like I'm, I am like the eternal optimist, right? And I, am, I tend to be pretty ambitious. And so normally I would just be like, God, you said most. So I'm praying that 100 people in Redemption Hill right now would just be moved to be more daring and that we would share our faith more with people and we would give out more invites and all of this. And we'll talk about more of that, that next week. But, but, but what, if, what if we just kind of slow down? Like Pastor Tanner, slow down for a minute. All right, I know you get excited. I'm talking to myself now. Um, but... What if, what if we just saw this? What if four or five more people stepped out with some courage this year? What if over the next couple of months, nine or ten of us, nine or ten more of us became more courageous to talk about Jesus where Jesus has placed us? I'm fully convinced when that happens, it won't be 9 or 10. It'll then become 30 or 40. Because courage is contagious. Because when great things happen, it inspires other people to take some great steps, right? So then that 30 or 40 all of a sudden becomes 80 or 90 or how, like, then, then we get there, right? Then we get to this place of the majority, most of the people being willing to step forward in faith because courage is contagious. So Paul would say, look, like, I, know it's, I know it's a challenge, but, but don't allow anything. Don't allow yourself, don't allow your fears to hold you back from, from loving other people, giving of yourself in, in deed and in word to picture forth Jesus and to let people know who he is and what he's done in your life. That's the first encouragement. And then, and then number two, as Paul goes on to discuss the gospel advancing, he raises another concern that the Philippians have for Paul. You see, they knew that Paul would have been grieved to hear that while Paul was in prison, there were some people that were advancing the news out of a pure motive and a love for God and a love for Paul. But then there were actually other people who were saying like, hey, Paul's on the sidelines. This is our opportunity to kind of become a little greater than Paul. So people will talk about us like they talk about Paul. So they'll love us like they love Paul. And so they started to, to tell the story with actually impure motives. Look again at what it says in verse 15. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. 
The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry. Not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Paul is saying this. Look, I, I understand. Like Epaphroditus is the one that brought Paul a gift, and he's caring for Paul, and he's a representative of the Philippians to, to, to care for Paul in his time of distress. Um, he's saying, look, Epaphroditus has let me know that like, there are people out there who like they're with me, and they're united, and they love me, and they have my back, and they want me to get out of here so I can be more free to proclaim Christ. But as they, they're going about their business, they're doing it out of love. But then there are some who, who want to make a greater name for themselves. They're, they're communicating Christ so that they can look better in the sight of others. They're communicating about Jesus so so that they can appear more significant, so that the work that they're doing can appear more significant in the eyes of others. And so just what, what, what a warning for us to consider, right? Ungodliness, that, that, that means like not living like God wants us to. Ungodliness can creep into the most godly actions in our lives. So, so very, in very practical terms, like we all came here this morning. We're all singing songs together. We're all praying together. We can even talk about Jesus out in our workplace or in our neighborhood or when we're hanging out at the coffee shop, wherever we are, and we can do it so that, you know what, next time I go to a group, I can, you know, like Reggie can feel a little bit better about Tanner. You know what I'm saying? Like Tanner really did it this week. You know, Tanner really loves Jesus. Like now I look a little better in Reggie's eyes because I, I shared the story this week. And so what's our motivation? Are we, are we moving forward out of a love for God? Are we moving forward so that we can attain, like, Bible reading plan? I read about Genesis uh, chapter 11 and the Tower of Babel. It says that they built that tower because they wanted to, to get a name for themselves, right? And lurking in every human heart is the desire to be greater in other people's eyes. To gain more respect, to gain more notoriety, notoriety. This is true for individuals, and it's true for churches. Let me ask you this. This year, if every other news-advancing church, right, like churches, newsflash, there are some churches that, that are called a church, and they don't, really, they don't really believe in Jesus like the Bible is presenting him, okay, and they're not really communicating that message. I'm not hating. I'm just saying that's the way it is, all right? But thankfully, there are a lot of churches in greater Boston who do love Jesus, and they are advancing this news. So so here's a scenario. What if every other church in Boston that's advancing the news of Jesus grew like crazy this year, and, and we didn't add one person? Who wins? We win, right? We win. 
Because we're not competing with other churches. We're teaming up with other churches because we, we follow the same king, right? We, we follow the same leader. We're in the same mission. That's what happens when you care more about what God's doing in your city than you care about what he's doing in your own life or your own church. Of course we listen. Of course we want to see God move in great ways through Redemption Hill, right? This is why we're after. This is why we love our city. It's why we're trying to make a difference where God's placed us. But, but the point is we're, we're not competitors. We're teammates. Two weeks ago, I got together with about 12 other pastors from around greater Boston. And what we did is we just prayed for our city. We prayed for one another's churches. And these are, these are guys, like I could talk to you about Aaron down in Quincy and Chris in Dedham and Charlie in South Boston and Joe in Charlestown and Jerry in the Back Bay and my guy Wyatt who's down in West Rocks. Like, I love these guys and I want their, their ministries to advance. Jan at Mosaic. We should, we should want the gospel to advance, no matter how it's advancing. And this is what Paul was, was all about. This is how he rolled, and this is how we should roll as well. So if you look, if you look at it at the end of, of verse 17 again, uh, it, just, it just confirms it. He's like, look, um, they're, they're, they suppose, they, they think that they can afflict me, but, but really what's happening is they're causing me to rejoice. People are operating out of selfish ambition. They're operating out of envy and rivalry. But instead of pushing me down, they're actually bringing me up. Because no matter, even if the motive is impure, I mean, no, it's not like Paul's dismissing that, okay? Like he wants, he wants both the action and the motive to be on point. But even when it's not, he's thankful that the most important thing is happening, which for Paul, the most important thing was more people finding out about Jesus and, and more people believing in Jesus. That was what was most important for Paul. And he says it in verse 18, like just know verse 18. No, 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 verse 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, and 18. But, but let's zoom in on verse 18. Let's know this. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. I love it when people hear about Jesus. That's what Paul's saying. There's nothing better to me, Paul's saying, than for someone to hear about what Jesus has done for them. And the only thing that's better than someone hearing about it is actually someone hearing about it and then believing in what Jesus is. Right? So, so this is what moved Paul. This is what moved Paul to tears. This is what made Paul laugh with joy that people were hearing about Jesus and believing in Jesus. And so we've talked a lot about advancing the news, but we haven't talked much about what the news is. And so let's just hit pause and just make sure we're on the same page here. This, this, this news that we're going to advance, like what is this news? The news is that God loves every person on the planet. He made every person on the planet in his image. He made every person on the planet to, to know him and to relate to him in a harmonious way, to have an unbroken friendship with God. It's, it's an amazing thought. But the, the sad news, the tragic news, is that there is brokenness in our world, and that brokenness is a result of us disconnecting ourselves, severing ourselves from this harmonious relationship by choosing to go our own way, saying like, God, thanks, but no thanks. I don't, I don't want to follow you. I don't want to love you like you've created me to. And so I'm going to follow my own plan, and our own plan leads to death and destruction. But that does not stop God's love for us. 
God loves us so much that in spite of us turning away from him, he pursues us through sending his one and only son, the eternal son of God, Jesus Christ, to be born of a virgin named Mary and live the perfect life that we should have lived but could not live and did not live, and then die. Instead of us having to to experience death because of our sin, Jesus experienced it for us on the cross so that now he is our substitute. He is our he is he has paid the price that we deserve to pay. So that now through his life, his death, and his resurrection, we can experience the life that God designed for us to live in the very beginning. We can experience it both now and forever. That is the good news. And that good news should put a smile on our face. And that good news should get us excited so excited that we would be willing to share it with others. Listen, the gospel is robust. And reflecting on these words, renowned scholar N.T. Wright said this, Paul was proclaiming a new and a very subversive message. The soldiers were used, of course, to the gospel of Caesar. The supposed good news that a new emperor had taken the throne, bringing, so he claimed, peace and justice to the world. But now here, someone out of the blue, Paul, was announcing that there was a different gospel, a different news that Jesus of Nazareth had taken the throne of the world and was summoning every man and woman and child to bow their knee to him. This is the invitation that we give people, right? God made you for something more. He made you for something better. He made you to experience everything that you've ever longed for. This is why Jesus is the treasure hidden in a field, right? And so you can step into that story by turning back to him. It's as simple as that. That's the gospel. Embracing what Christ has done for us. So this news was paramount to to Paul, and this news absolutely made him rejoice. So just to to, to wrap up our time together, I would just ask you, would you say in your life, would you be able to say with Paul in verse 18, hey, you know what, Uh, this is what's important. Only in every way, people hear about Jesus. Is that what's most important to us? And if it is, can people tell that by the way that we live our life? Listen, I I love what God is doing through a group of average, or I'm sorry, I'm just just an average guy. I don't know about you. I mean, I know there's some really smart people around here and some really cool people and some really hardworking people, all right? But but for the most of us, all right, just bear with, like, we're just a bunch of average people. Just like the earliest followers of Christ, like, they they even literally like, hey, man, these these people are like, God using these people for his mission, and, and that's who we are. But God is using the people of Redemption Hill in some great ways. And so this news is advancing. This news is advancing through us. And I believe we're only scratching the surface of how God wants to work through us as we move forward as a church into 2017 and way beyond. So so rather than me telling you a story of how God is working through our church, I want to invite someone up whose life has been changed by Jesus, and her name is Carrie. 
Pelletier. So Carrie, come on up, and uh, you guys can pray for her. She's, she's never been up here on Sunday, so she's, you know, this is a new experience for her. Many of you would be like, wow, this is like, I'd be a little intimidated to get up there where Tanner is right now. Um, so you guys can pray for her. She comes up, and some of her friends are going to join her. Chloe's going to join her. She's part of her story. But I just thought, hey, rather than me telling you a story, why not, uh, why not sh- let Carrie share uh, what God has done in her life. So uh, come on out, Carrie. Uh, so cool uh, what God has done. And uh, she messaged me this week and said, you know what, I'm about to transition back to Maine, but before I do, I want to thank Redemption Hill for the part that they've played in my life. So you are a part of Carrie's story. Let's uh, give it up for Carrie as she comes to share. Awesome. Hey, guys. <laughs> Um, I came to Redemption Hill broken and chained by the lies and relapse of anorexia, torn down and defeated by the lies Satan had whispered in my ear ever since I was 14, and pierced with the scars from my father. I came here shattered and timid that if there was a God out there, why did I, why did we have to say goodbye and hello to my sister's baby, my niece Hope? at the same time and have her taken from us in an instant with no warning signs. I had wondered how this God out there could take something so innocent and precious away from us at full term during her delivery to the outside world. It seemed as if I was drowning and there was no life vest to hold my head above the waves. But then came Emma and Chloe. It was a Friday evening, and we had gone to Starbucks to get our usual coffee, decaffeinated, of course, (laughs) and hot chocolate. As I was coming back from the bathroom, I noticed these two girls sitting and chatting with an open Bible. I thought to myself, how cool is that, out in public, to be reading the Bible? I would never dare to do that. I told a few girls about it while we were waiting, but being the shy person I am, I couldn't bring myself to go up and say hello. Seeing them, and had been thinking, I came to the conclusion that I needed to find a church and go the coming Sunday. I googled churches in Medford and clicked on the first one that came up, Redemption Hill. (laughs) The webpage was so inviting, and so I made some arrangements, and on Sunday, I went. And one of the recovery coaches back at treatment sat down, and believe it or not, here were those two girls I had seen at Starbucks sitting together and laughing. I was amazed. I just, I couldn't believe that there were, they were here, and now I had the chance to go up to them and tell them what it meant to me um, to see them reading the Bible um, just in a public place. I was nervous, but I did it. I did say hello. Um, and since that Sunday up until now, we've been meeting every Thursday um, and have read the whole book of Mark together. I have learned about who Jesus is and why he came to earth and paid the price for every single one of us, past, present, and future. I learned about his death and the amazing plan God had to raise him from the dead and forever be with us. And the best part is, I gave my life to him. (laughs) Um, I repented of my sins and hoped for a new start at this thing called life. And since that day, it has seemed like I'm looking through a new pair of eyes. I have fed myself the proper nutrition it takes to be the best that I can be, and I'm beginning to see myself as Christ sees me. I have this hope that I was born to be somebody, 
and that I am important and not a waste of space. Hmm. That even though my earthly father wasn't the best of influences, the king of the world calls me his. I could go on for a very long time talking about all the joys and adventures I've had through Redemption Hill and all the times while singing that my heart has felt overjoyed and free. I never in my life so far have met such an amazing group of people who welcomed me, scars and all, into open arms and became the supportive family I never had. After being here for four and a half months, my time in Medford um, has come to an end and I'm planning to return back home tomorrow. But I'm planning to come visit. I can't wait to share this gospel with my family and friends back home and I can't thank you and thank God enough for placing all of you in my life when I thought all hope was lost. Awesome, awesome. Thanks, Carrie. Hang on one second. I want to pray for you. Um, isn't it amazing? The, the, God, the news of Jesus is powerful, right? We, we don't have to be powerful. The news is powerful. We just have to say, God, I'm willing to tell your story. And so uh, you were a part. Did you hear? You were a part through your, your inviting just presence each Sunday and how God has used people like Chloe and Emma and others uh, to, to point Carrie to Jesus, and now her life is forever changed. And that's, that's why we do what we do, right? So let's pray for Carrie. Let's pray that God would enable us to take some bold steps. Then we're going to sing and celebrate and uh, continue in worship. God, thank you so much for what you've done in Carrie's life. And we know that her story is representative of many stories of how you have changed lives through just a, a group of ordinary people known as Redemption Hill Church. And so, God, we pray for Carrie, this work that you've started very recently. God, that you, we know you'll be faithful to continue and complete in her life. And Father, we pray that this, the story that we heard today from Carrie would be multiplied many times over as we advance the news of Jesus this year. We can't wait to see you do it through us. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.